Welcome back to Waiting for Christ, Meditations for Advent and Christmas, and we are in the week of Epiphany. I am confident that Father will have an Epiphany this week. (laughs) Just wait. It's coming. It's coming. Well, we're guaranteed to have one this week. It may not be ours, um, but (laughs) we will have one. Once again, uh, here for the final week of our reflections on Dr. Christopher Bloom's compilation of St. John Henry Newman's Meditations for Advent and Christmas. Short week this week, uh, yet no less to discuss, no less to reflect on, thanks to St. John Henry Newman. (laughs) Maybe before we jump into this week, a couple observations to pick up from where we were last week. Uh, I think the couple of themes that I would highlight among the many things we talked about, maybe three, the idea of battle and victory, which, you know, at first I will admit when I saw the title, Sister said she reflected on the title alone for a little while, and I thought the timing of it strange in light of, you know, sort of the joy of the Christmas season and all that. So that was kind of an interesting thing to wrestle with. I thought Carlos's manifestation of that in family life and parenting with kids and the battle that we're engaged in, you know, uh, St. Benedict would call it the battle for holy obedience, right, um, and, sure. and all that's involved there. Another theme which kind of led us into that was the theme of just, um, you know, I observed the reframe, you know, the reframe of the perspective of the angels, but in particular, the reframe of reflecting on the mind and the heart of a child, you know, was, uh, I think, interesting and fruitful. And then last but not least, the theme of suffering and the inevitability and fruitfulness and suffering as the path to joy, as Newman uh, described it. Sister, what struck you as we look at this week of Epiphany? Yes, well, I was really, I mean, I was struck by our conversation last week, and so I was continuing to to meditate upon that, and like you just said, on the theme of suffering. Um, I think, so I, last week, I talked about the reflection for January 2nd, and I was really struck by just that idea of this is really what we've come for. This is what Christ came for. And this is, this is part of our life and this is the pilgrimage. And then I remember Carlos talking about just, he took it even to a different depth. I think in thinking about his, his children and raising children in that we talked about that seed of concupiscence Hmm. and you know, that seed that we just want to bury in concrete. Right. Right. But we have to teach our children how to, how to deal with it and how to walk through it. And um, I, I don't think I mentioned this last week, but I really, I liked that because I personally like this part of scripture that Newman was referencing Psalm 126. And when he said, again, back to last week on page 141, um, that they who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Mm. Um, If you just read, that's like a direct reference to Psalm 126, which has always been one of my favorite scriptures and has always reminded me to, to look forward in hope despite whatever I may be going through at the time. And I think that... You know, sister, I never... I don't mean to interrupt, but I never noticed this. Psalm uh, Psalm 127 is one of my favorites. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. this this actually ties our whole conversation from last week together. So the, those who sow in tears will reap uh, in joy from Psalm 126. Psalm 127, I think, is the great psalm for parents, right? It's the, Mm -hmm. in vain do you, you know, labor in vain as you're going later to rest and all that. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, blessed is he who has many sons and, you know, he'll have no cause for shame when he d- disputes with his foes in the gates or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, that really kind of puts it all together from our discussion last week. Mm-hmm. But keep going. Yeah, and actually, 
Yeah, actually, I was I was thinking about that again because those two psalms come together in the liturgy, the hours. I forget which day and week. I think it's a Wednesday of one of the weeks. And I fell in love with both of those psalms when way before I entered the convent, I was working at, oh, I previously on the same podcast had referenced the camp I worked at. Shout out to Camp Gray, if you recall, in Madison, Wisconsin. Who could but I was forget camp-, camp Gray? I don't none know. Of, none Nobody. Of <laughs> so it, uh, I was a camp counselor then, and I remember I had a particularly difficult group of campers, and in their ability to understand and, and relate to each other, but also just in the, I had a few campers in particular who had real, real sufferings and sorrows in their mm-hmm. life. And I just, as a young college kid working with these, you know, 12 and 13 year olds, I just didn't even know how to wrap my brain around that and what to do about that. And, um, but I had, it was my time off and I was in the chapel there praying, praying the evening office, um, praying Vespers and, those two psalms came up and it was just like the lord speaking directly to me like I w- i'm not a parent i wasn't then i will not be a parent as a, a religious sister in the same way that you guys are but as someone caring for a young person like the lord led my heart to understand like it isn't for me to take the suffering away from them and i think even for us like sin is a suffering and that's what i was really my further meditation what carlos was saying is like Yes, sin is a suffering. Sin is something that brings us sorrow and tears in our life. But even that, even our sins, God uses to bring us to him. Well, and herein, I think, lies one of the great scandals of Christianity in contemporary culture, and that is we embrace suffering. You know, there's mm-hmm. to, to not suffer is one of, I think, the essential dogmas of our culture. You know, know, not consciously examined or anything. It's just sort of a subconscious assumption that any form of suffering is evil and without purpose and needs to be eliminated. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when when we start talking like this, it's like, okay, you know, (laughs) this is strange. Are you saying that suffering's good? You know, shouldn't it be eliminated? Are you trying to inflict suffering on people? But, Sister, what you're describing and building on what Carlos described last week is a fruitfulness of suffering. Again, Newman in last week uh, described suffering as the path to peace. Um, so, Right, and I, just to bring it into this week again, so then my what really struck me again this week was um, the reflection for, for the third, which is page 144, January 3rd affliction a school of comfort and right away the title mm-hmm. struck me that that's so similar to what we were talking about it reminded me of space salvi my favorite papal encyclical written by benedict the 16th and in particular the second section of that encyclical the the heading is action and suffering as settings for learning hope so that again tied for me directly into what we were just talking about last week but he he builds on it this week and he adds for me what was I, I think an obvious missing piece of the puzzle but something i hadn't really thought about before even in my own teaching and even in my relationships with other people as a sister i try to teach people like suffering is fruitful suffering is good um but what i think what people don't understand is that suffering in and of itself is not a good hmm. and for those of us who try to go through the world suffering without god without the grace of Jesus Christ, without God's purpose, without allowing God to make it holy, then it is in, it is a waste of everything. You know, it is, 
it can actually have the opposite effect on us and bring us farther away from him. Sister, on, on page 145, Newman writes, Now, in speaking of the benefits of trial and suffering, we should, of course, never forget that these things by themselves have no power to make us holier or more heavenly. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. make many men morose, selfish, and envious. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's, yeah, further down on the page, it should ever be, uh, last paragraph, it should ever be borne in mind that the severest and most mortified life is a, is little a passport to heaven or a criterion of saintliness, benevolence, usefulness, and ambulance. (laughs) Self-discipline is a necessary condition, but not a sure sign of holiness. It may leave a man worldly, or it may make him a tyrant. It is only in the hands of God that it is God's instrument. It only ministers to God's purposes when God uses it. So Newman has given us a lot there to build on, you know, I guess we could view this two ways. One, to build on, sister, what you said. The other way to view it is, sister, you really summed up all of that in a sentence, Mm -hmm. which is suffering in and of itself is not necessarily good. So Mm -hmm. say more about that. Well, actually, I just, Carlos, I think, led me into it, but I do have highlighted this paragraph, this quote from Space Salvi um, in the in number 37. Pope Benedict XVI says, let us return to our topic. We can try to limit suffering, to fight against it, but we cannot eliminate it. It is when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt, when we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love, and goodness, that we drift into a life of emptiness, in which there may be almost no pain, but the dark sensation of meaninglessness and abandonment is all the greater. It is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed, but rather by our capacity for accepting it, maturing through it, and finding meaning through union with Christ, who suffered with infinite love. And so I think, you know, here looking at getting ready for the epiphany or in the Christmas season, I think we, if we just remember, like, Jesus, medit- Christmas is so fun and beautiful and joyful, and Jesus is a little cute little baby, and um, <laughs> but even in the beginning of his life, there was suffering. It's actually, he talks about on, on the Feast of the Epiphany that only as an infant was Jesus ever treated as a king. Mm. And it was almost barely. And then after everything after that was a trial and this was a model for our own lives. And but by recognizing that and living our lives in union with him and walking in his footsteps, then and then all of our suffering has meaning, whether it's suffering of things that happen to us in our life, the suffering of our own sin, the suffering of being not yet fully united with, with God in heaven. Um, all of those sufferings have meaning and bear fruit in our lives and it's just awesome sister i'm struck in listening to the space alvi quote that you read of a concrete example that i share with with some reluctance but i think it's it's worth sharing Uh, reluctance due to the sensitivity and and soreness of it but Mm -hmm. i'm reminded of the elderly person who suffers and dies alone in seclusion to somehow protect and prevent the suffering of that person and others, you know, in the context of infectious disease, right? So, mm-hmm. so here you have a person who, who is suffering and suffering alone and whose suffering is, I, th- I think, to some extent, um, you know, muted and, and given stripped of, of meaning, stripped of, of communion and, and those sorts of things. 
by virtue of this obsessive focus with the elimination of the suffering rather than the accompaniment through it and the bearing of the fruitfulness of it. So I just share that mm-hmm. as a concrete example to say this is not abstract theology. This is, mm-hmm. this is concrete reality. Well, I think what we, we have to recognize is that suffering is part of this life and that it depends on our demeanor and the grace that the Lord gives us and his transformation of it that, that makes it into something that can be fruitful. When you don't have a vision of, of if we don't have God's vision of the world, we don't have his grace at work in your heart, yeah, it looks pretty pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like something that we should expend all of our energy trying to avoid or, or well, root again, out. And maybe, you know, and, and we should seek to eliminate, reduce suffering sure. within, within reason, but to a certain extent, we cannot eliminate it. Right. Right? That's an exercise in futility to completely eliminate all suffering and, in fact, seems to work against what Newman's saying. Carlos? Well, uh, so on page 154, the first full sentence on that page, a smooth and easy life, an uninterrupted enjoyment of the goods of providence, full meals, soft garments, well-furnished homes, the pleasures of sense, the feeling of security, the consciousness of wealth, these and the like, if we are not careful, choke up all the avenues of the soul through which the light and breadth of heaven might come to us. It's like in all of human history, like the um, the air handlers and air conditioner condensers and the boilers, <laughs> like we can control the temperature in insane ways like Abu Dhabi and like, uh, like all... Or, uh, United Arab Emirates, all these places that are uninhabitable are now filled with skyscrapers and, and desalinization yeah, yeah, plants. Yeah. Well, and, bring it closer to home. We can control the temperature for our home from miles away. Or our car. I want my, yeah, like, I want my I car to my be car, a I'm like, Can I get mine warmed up before I get in it? Like, <laughs> yes, can I avoid can. scraping and, yeah. and yeah. waiting? Like, no, I, I've, I was going for a walk yesterday and I walked past two cars that were sitting there idling. No one in them. No Warming one in sight. <laughs> but they're just, they're just going, getting ready for whoever's coming Controlling out. Controlling the temperature in advance. So yep. It's yep. cozy yep. when I get there. Um, but yeah, like this is totally, the royalty for all of human history never had access to anything remotely close to this or like you know, DoorDash and like all these, the most extravagant (laughs) kings and queens of human history never had these extravagances. Yeah. Uh, That are ordinary today. Yeah. So it's really unprecedented time and really therefore an unprecedented like journey spiritually to navigate suffering because we're habituated to this ease of like, well, yeah, don't eat less calories than you, or don't, take in less calories than you expend in order to lose weight, if I said that right. But, uh, you know, just uh, here's diet. So, you know, like there's all sorts of ways that um, we've become accustomed to like, well, like this is technology. I mean, it just sort of short circuits other ways of doing things. And so when there isn't a, a way to short circuit, we're like, well, this must be broken because hmm. right. I need I need the short circuit. Comfortable. <laughs> and it's like, uh, nope, not not in this venue. And it's like, well, that, um, this is the temptation I think for all of us is, is to really press into that because we haven't had the preparation in, um, there's a log cabin, like on the way to Pleasant Plains, I think it is. There's no windows. And it was Elena and I first, it was like the first month we were here in Illinois. Uh, so it was like July. It was just unfathomably swampy, you know, totally <laughs> unpleasant. Central uh, Illinois summer. <laughs> swampy. <laughs> and we go in, there's no windows or anything into this log cabin. 
and it was so suffocatingly hot and mm. unpleasant. I was like, oh my Lord, how did people live you know, and sleep through the night in a log cabin? Um, they didn't sit around in their cabin on their iPhone. <laughs> that was <laughs> thing one. All right. Um, but anyway, all this is sort of coming crashing down of uh, like the mortification that happens in daily life is is a preparation when we pray the Hail Mary of like, forgive us our sin now and at, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. It's like they're all tied together. Like my capacity to mortify myself in a meal three times mm. a day or to fast or all these things is is uh, related to uh, disengagement of the Lord. You know, listening to what you're saying, you, given all of the comforts that we have as these suffocating barriers mm-hmm. to what <laughs> Sister's describing, right? They get in the way mm-hmm. of it. They obstruct yeah. this natural experience that we're meant to have that is ultimately, I think, a dying to self and a, and a learning of dependence and all those kind of things that, that we have to mm-hmm. do. What you describe, Carlos, is we, we have to go out of our way to find those mortifications to a certain extent. Now, he also speaks to the dangers of, you know, of obsessing and, and focusing right, yeah. on those things. Father, what struck mm-hmm. you this week? So it's going to continue in the same line that, that we already had. One of the quotes that I had underlined and, and you know, circled was the one that Carlos just mentioned. But another one, and along the same lines, is back on page 150. Um, this is for January 4th. He's writing about, um, it's entitled, The Thought of God, The Stay of the Soul. But in this particular case, he's speaking about the things that we do find pleasure and and joy in. Um, And he's speaking to the fact that they don't completely fill up our heart. Uh, There on page 150, love of home and family in these and other ways is sufficient to make this life tolerable to the multitude of men, which otherwise it would not be. But still, after all, our affections exceed such exercise of them and demand what is more stable. He goes on to speak about, okay, what is it that actually fills up our heart? Yes, friendships can. Certainly, uh, even lower down, kind of uh, the comforts and and pleasures of life uh, fill us to a small extent. But in the end, because those things all are themselves passing away, they're not going to complete us. Furthermore, this is lower on page 150, um, only that expending ourselves for the love of God and receiving his love in return fully opens us. Mm. You know, love of something is a very small kind of openness of ourself. Love of someone, a friend or a family member, opens us more. But only that that back and forth of us loving God asks us to surrender everything, but in turn gives us everything. I wonder if the, in the first thing, the, the love of things, yeah. uh, the love of pleasures, the experience of those things, does it open up ourselves at all, or does it even risk closing in on ourselves, that those become, you know, sort of self-referential. I think only insofar as those things can be reminders of a larger mm-hmm. gift of friendship or a larger gift of God's friendship with us. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see the blessings of way. life. Yeah, yeah, you could you could see those as so as with the wrong plane of vision. You can yeah, you can kind of go the for wrong sure. Direction. It turns around. Yeah, it, it goes backwards. Um, I mean, he he kind of finishes that thought off on one fifty one. Says life passes, riches fly away, popularity is fickle, the senses decay, the world changes, friends die. One alone is constant, one alone is true to us, one alone can be true, one alone can be all things to us, one alone can supply our need, one alone can train us up to our full perfection, one alone can give a meaning to our complex and intricate nature, one alone can give us tune and harmony, 
One alone can form and possess us. Are we allowed to put ourselves under his guidance? Wow. It's a good question. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me add something that Please. I think is a s- sentence in a little bit earlier on that sums up what Father just said. So on page 148 from January 4th, toward the bottom of the page, Newman writes, The soul of a man is made for the contemplation of its maker, and nothing short of that high contemplation is its happiness. I think that partial sentence sums up the the one that you were just describing, or that Newman was just describing, right? So this is kind of the St. Augustine principle of our hearts are, mess, are, are made for God, by God, and they're restless until they rest in him. So I view this, and it's, I think, a way to kind of sum up not only this week, but this whole set of meditations that we've been journeying through with, with Newman in terms of what is all this about? What all this is about is our hearts were made for him, him who just came in the flesh to save us. And all of this restlessness and racing around and, you know, the passage that Carlos read on page 154, this, this smooth and uninterrupted enjoyment of goods, this, this artificial life that we create around ourselves, if, as Father was just reflecting on, if not viewed as pointing to something greater, these lesser goods become ends in themselves, collapse on themselves, and we collapse in on ourselves. We lose sight of that ultimate one that is our happiness, that ultimate one in whom we rest. The last bit that I want to share, and I won't read them all, but if that's the problem, Newman actually gives us this week the remedy, mm-hmm. right? So he gives us the remedy with a set of contemplations on page 154 and 155. So, so if, if there's only that one thing that's ultimately going to make us happy and we're to avoid the trap that Carlos highlighted and we're to embrace the path that Sister described uh, in suffering is the path to peace— he goes, you know, going back to what Sister started us with, he points us to the cross. So first step of the remedy, contemplate Christ crucified and contemplate that through the lens of love. You know, contemplate that through the lens of love and experience his mercy and his goodness and his love through that contemplation. He then goes on with some other kind of aspects of the remedy. That's the primary one. He goes on to, you know, contemplate his, his mercies as you've seen them in the lives of right. your brethren, uh, in the lives of those around you. Contemplate him in his church and in his sacraments. But, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, contemplate the one and rest in the one for whom we were made and without whom we're restless uh, until we find him, he kind of gives us this week the remedy. So I just encourage everybody to kind of read those, chew on those as the, I think in a way, the action-oriented summing up and moving forward from all these reflections. Do these things, meditate on these things as we go forward, as we you know, move beyond this Christmas season into ordinary time, which is such an interesting way to describe things. Nothing ordinary about Nothing it. Nothing ordinary <laughs> about it at all. With that, Father, would you close us in prayer? Of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Lord, as we continue to celebrate you, to adore you, to worship you, to give you honor and praise, we ask that your grace might fill up in our lives all the places that we've sought comfort, pleasure, contentment, and peace in places other than you. We ask you to purify our hearts, sometimes perhaps through suffering, perhaps through that restlessness that you bring to our attention in these days. 
and pray that all of those experiences might turn us towards you, might allow us to wait and to watch for your grace in our lives, and to expect and hope for your coming. We thank you for the many gifts that you've given us, the many blessings you've placed in our lives, and the joys that you've given us as tastes of the full joys that we hope to find in heaven one day with you. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thanks be to God. Pray for us. Pray for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Sister. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Mike. This has You're been, welcome. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, uh, hopefully it's been fruitful for everybody else. And on to ordinary time. <laughs> We're off. Onward. And upward. <laughs>